Welcome to the Vision for the Valley podcast. I am your host, Joseph Velarde. In this podcast, we will discover the gym that is the Lehigh Valley and learn from people from all walks of life. Welcome to another episode of the Vision for the Valley podcast. My name is Joe Velarde. I serve as one of the hosts here, and I'm so excited uh, to have our good friend, uh, Dr. Larry Anderson in the house with us today, and Larry's coming from Philly. He'll tell you a little bit about himself in just a minute, but one of the things we wanted to do um, in this episodes of, of late is we, we've moved in and out of the Valley specific to other people who are in other parts of Pennsylvania and beyond, partly because I wanted you to hear how they're learning and working through COVID-19 and also the racial unrest that we're facing as a country and as a nation. Second, uh, these people have shaped my vision for the Valley. (laughs) So I want you to hear from them. And third, I just think uh, it would be selfish of me if I have questions about life and leadership, not to hit the record button and share those uh, with you. So I want to make sure you're able to hear and, and learn uh, from others who have, again, influenced me and, and who are doing incredible things. One of those guys is uh, Dr. Larry Anderson. And Larry, tell us a little bit about yourself. And he has multiple hats, so I call him like the Renaissance man because he's got all kinds of things going on. So, Larry, tell us a little bit about yourself, man. Yeah, man, just uh, praising God for being here, uh, to, to be uh, a friend, uh, and, and to uh, be thought of as having something to say. <laughs> uh, that will be of worth, you know. Uh, I, I serve as the uh, director of church health for the Baptist Resource Network, which is uh, the Pennsylvania South Jersey branch of the Southern Baptist Convention, helping our churches uh, be healthy, healthy lives and healthy practices and making healthy disciples. Uh, I also serve as a pastor uh, of Great Commission Church located in West Oak Lane, uh, Philadelphia. Uh, I am a proud uh, co-author of a book, Ask Me Why I'm Not in Church, uh, which is a call for the church to get out of the building uh, and get out into the field and, and actually do what the Lord has called us to do. And then I wear various volunteer hats. Uh, one of my favorite is is just leading uh, the Culture, Ethics, and Justice Coalition, mm-hmm. uh, which is a group of pastors formed to, to bridge uh, racial reconciliation and equality uh, from a godly uh, position. Uh, so, so we're we're various hats, but let's just stop there. And, and <laughs> <laughs> right. That's awesome. So, hey, Larry, tell us a little bit about where you're originally from. Uh, you just a back a background backstory of of your life, just for people to even get a little context, even for you know what brought you to what you're doing and and all those types of things. Well, uh, I'm from Philadelphia, uh, from 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 North Philly, born and raised. Uh, playground where I spent much of my day. <laughs> I just grew up in, in a home with a, an abusive father and ultimately, uh, through the grace of God, a single mother uh, who raised me to, to, to do two things well, love God and love people. Because uh, she was a lover of God and a lover of people. And so that, that is my culture. That was in my home. Uh, I've always been one who just... Uh, was was gracious and whatever I had, I wasn't never about a, a accumulating uh, amount of material things. It was always about being uh, generous and supportive of others around me. Um, fought for um, recognition uh, based on having an abusive father. So some would call me an overachiever, you know, and trying to strive for excellence to be 
uh, notice and, and, and awarded for the things that I've done and, and just looking for that approval uh, until I met the Lord who, who, who said, the, this is my son with him, I am well pleased. Mm-hmm. And his, his pleasing with Jesus uh, was translated into his pleasing with me by me accepting Jesus in the blood. And that was all the affirmation I needed. And then I was able from that point on to use everything that God gave me to continue blessing this kingdom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really cool because uh, one of the other mutual friends we have, um, and it's kind of funny because Larry and I, our paths would cross a lot of times. We would see each other like, hey, what's up? But then we got into this coalition together, so we got to really know each other. And he, uh, he always appreciates this Dirty South uh, <laughs> mindset from the ATL that I bring. <laughs> we're both laughing about that. But, uh, <laughs> uh, but one of the, the guys that we usually were, were touched by and impacted by was Hal Hopkins. And can you tell me a little bit, because he's been on this podcast, so people uh, know him. Can you tell us a little bit about your relationship with Hal? Well, he would be considered uh, my father in the ministry. Uh, as, uh, as I was searching for my place uh, in ministry, I was saved. I, was, I moved, and I moved up to the uh, Roslyn uh, PA, and, and my wife and, and my family was looking for a church home. Um, we got a, a flyer for the church that he, was, he had started. I had never heard at that point of starting a church. For whatever reason, I thought Jesus started all the churches and they just been going insane. <laughs> I didn't know that people could just start a church, so I got a flyer. Uh, but I was attending another church at the time, and I was like, oh, I like the name of the church, Great Commission. Like, I got to go there. Lost a the flyer. And I was like, hey, I told my wife, if we ever get a flyer for that place again, uh, I definitely want to go. And just so happened we got another flyer by the grace of God, and I got mm-hmm. the flyer. And uh, we visited this church, and when we went there, a woman at the door was like, hi, what's your name? And I was like, hi, I'm Larry Anderson. She said, oh, we've been waiting on you. <laughs> so I'm looking at her like, all right. So my wife was like, what she say? I'm like some crazy lady at the door talking about they was waiting on me. Well, come to find out, uh, part of that church planning staff was over at, at then PBU, now Karen University, who was a professor of mine who, who had said I moved into the area. And he was supposed to tell me about the church, but he never did. So she literally was waiting on me to show up at this church because he was supposed to tell me. And in addition to it, they overlapped. So they ended up putting flyer on one block twice, and that block was mine. And so when when they said, how'd you find out? I said, I got a flyer, and I lost it, but I was hoping to get another one, and I told him I got another one. And she was like, oh, do you live on Birchwood? And I was like, yeah. She's like, yeah, we did that block twice, and we didn't even know. Like, it was a mistake on their part. But how I even got there. So as I'm sitting down, I'm like, wow, this got to be of God. And then I met Pastor Hopkins, who was the pastor uh, at the time. And uh, he just embraced me, loved on me, poured on me, discipled me, and ultimately uh, handed the baton of pastoring at that church over to me. So, and he's still in my life every day. Yeah. Oh, man. It's such a great story because I I love watching – I wish you, I wish you could see us in some of these meetings, because you could tell these guys have done life together so long, and then you got a guy like me who's not afraid to to mix it up a little bit, and uh, oh man, so much laughter. I mean, I, and it's just fun. It's you can he, you can see the family affection, you know, like, and I, I love that from Absolutely. a from a respect. He, he stepped in and 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 just provided a fatherly role 
uh, in my life that I never had. And, 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 you know, before him, I seen all men as competitors. Mm-hmm. Uh, but because of, of him, his grace, and, his, and even when he communicated to me, and I, I didn't know at the time the story of, 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 of Barnabas and Paul. And he was like, yo, you know, we're, we're going to be like Barnabas and Paul, but one day it's going to be Paul and Barnabas. From the beginning, mm-hmm. he was looking to not just pour into me, but to be stepped behind me and allow me to take the forefront from the beginning. Uh, this is what he communicated to me, and I never even understood what he was saying. But because of that, it helped me become the guy I am when it comes to pouring everything I got into everybody, you know, I come in contact with and never seeing somebody as, as a competitor, but a co-laborer uh, with oh, this man. guy. Man. Yeah, it's, it's awesome to see because I do think, like, uh, there's, like, this love and honor, but there's this, <laughs> this the family part, too, where there's, like, uh, real, uh, <laughs> in a loving way, getting each other's business a bit, and and it's uh, you know mixing it up and, and those types of things. But one of the things like I, I really appreciate about that is even just from my own story, and we've talked about this before, Larry. Where, you know, I didn't have my father in my life, and a lot of Hal Hopkin types, and then even as I came here to plant, I mean, Hal was my first guy from the BRN. Like he was, I mean, and really he was the guy that would say things that. Like I couldn't see it at that point in time. And, and like very similar to what you said about that Paul and Barnabas moment and, and really scripturally speaking of hey, understanding there's a time where one has to say, Hey, I'm, I'm choosing to be second in command so that you can lead the way, you know, right, I'm, right. I'm, no one's taking this from me. I'm choosing to, to lay it down. And man, what a, what a great posture in that. So as you were journeying through that, one of the things you also did is, and, and I think this is really interesting. You we're also part of a seminary um, called Biblical Theological Seminary. Now it's called Mizios. Correct me if I'm yeah. getting mm-hmm. this wrong. Tell, no, us a little bit, t- tell us a little bit about like what you went there for, how that actually has impacted, you know, even a lot of the things that we're a part of together now. Because really, I, I've watched, um, you know, as we've talked and even as we've brought things together, because for two and a half years, Larry has really led the charge with a group of us with also Dr. Kyle Canty and others of, Hey, let's, we need to dive deep into the su- subject of racial injustice and inequality. And one of the, the things that allowed him to do that beyond his own personal experiences was really, he had led, uh, you know, seminary students through, through some of these um, books and materials as well. So can you just give us a little bit of a snapshot around your time at that seminary and how that helped you? Absolutely, man. Well, the, the coming to, to uh, biblical seminary then, uh, I was still, uh, I graduated from Karen, had my, my bachelor's in Bible, and I was going to get my MDiv, and uh, they then sold us on this urban program that they had that was going to equip us to do ministry. And uh, they had a flyer with a whole bunch of African Americans. Uh, little did we know it was clip art. And so uh, <laughs> we, we, we get to the building and, you know, we realize that there's no, you know, very few African-American students, no African-American professors and, you know, no diversity whatsoever. So it was, it was pretty uh, funny, but sad. And, you know, I was the uh, president of the class and two, uh, I guess two years into the program, uh, I was invited on a retreat as, as the president of class and on a retreat, I was asked by the president and then Dean, you know, well, how are you enjoying the program? I was like, well, 
Uh, I, I, I'm appreciating the, the academia portion of it and, and the theology, and, and I like wrestling with, with, with missional theology, but, you know, the idea that it was supposed to be urban was, was really uh, a, a level of deceit and, and disappointment, and, and they were shocked to even hear the words because they genuinely thought they were doing a good job, and... Um, what, in, what indebted me to them is they, at that point, we're two years in, it was like a year and a half left in the program. They said, what did you expect to get when you came in? Mm. And, you know, I, I, again, I'm a student and I'm, I'm, I'm like, hey, you know, you know, I expected this, I expected that, but, you know, I really don't know. And it was like, well, let us know what you, what you wanted, what you expected. So I went back to the class and I, I asked my class, like, what was y'all expecting when y'all came in here? And they telling you, they got this urban curriculum for MDiv. And so they gave me a list of stuff. I went on the internet and began researching uh, who actually does it well, who's okay. teaching, where are they teaching. And I went back with, here's what we were looking at. And they literally scrapped the last year and a half of our program wow. and began flying in different ones, like, like Carl Ellis, flying in professors to give us the information, changing the curriculum, changing the books, changing in the way they did things. They hired me as the urban director from that point on and told me, we need, you know, we need you to help us form a curriculum that would be able to serve because we never meant to do you. And so from that point on, I was like, wow, you know, they didn't wow. just, they didn't just mess up, right? They, mm -hmm. they, they messed up big, but they were willing to correct it because their hearts were in the right place. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, they, they paid for my doctorate. Um, asked me to be their first African-American professor uh, on faculty, which I was, uh, and I went. And, and not only was I the first, obviously I'm the only. And so that was where I really began bridging these racial reconciliation conversations yeah. uh, with a faculty uh, that I was the only uh, one of color on. And so it was a difficult journey. I'm, I'm giving a snapshot of it, but it was, yeah. it was tough. It's tough being the only one in a room. It's tough having to represent an entire race uh, by yourself, uh, you know, but, you know, the, the appreciation that I wasn't just a token, I wasn't just there for a photo op, but I was yeah. really there to help change and move a culture forward. And, and while I was there, I was able to have, you know, through the grace of God, the, the opportunity to not just change curriculum, but to bring in a, a plethora of people of color, uh, and I'm talking about Asian, I'm talking about Hispanic, I'm not just talking about African American, I'm talking about women. And so my position was used uh, as a catalyst to bring diversity to that place. And I was there until BRN headhunted me and pulled me over here. <laughs> That's all. Well, I was going to say too, one of the things that is so fascinating about that whole story is I think it's a model for what's it like to be in a situation, an opportunity to be asked a question and someone says, hey, what did you think? What do you think about this program? How are you liking it? And one of the things I really appreciate about Larry, and he's really funny. He's a Philly guy through and through. Uh, six years, Eagles, you know, like, hey, you know. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, they have a chance now to maybe win the whole uh, NBA championship now. <laughs> the season's changed. But, um, but one of the things is, when you're asking him a question, 
and he can he's really good at picking up too when you mean it and you don't mean it so like he he's just really good reader of people and a lot of that comes from his own experiences and what he's, he's gone through and seen uh, but but when he saw the genuineness of that question um he took the opportunity to to walk them through what he was thinking and i, I love how the seminary came back and said hey this actually you know we didn't know that <laughs> and now that we do we want to change it help us change it we want to work with you um through that and i think that's a powerful actual picture of um what it looks like to, to do the work of reconciliation, because it's one thing to listen. It's another thing to hear. So I can listen to you speak, but do I hear what you're saying? And are you willing to go have a back and forth to enter into these conversations? And I, I love what you said too, about not being a, a token black person, you know, tokenism is so dangerous, you know, because it, it um, does more harm than good. It's really about the the person doing the tokenism versus even what we're the value of what we're embracing. And and one of the things I love about our BRN family is, and I've told these guys a hundred times, and I'm telling this on the podcast now. Um, hey, I want to be clear. Like I'm choosing to follow you because I, I feel like you're worth following. You know, like I, you know, no one's Barry's not having a secret meeting with me. Yo, man, I need you to follow Larry and Kyle. No, no, no. I want to follow them. Like, I want to. Like, it's an honor. It's a joy to support and to be in it together in those ways. And uh, one of the things you said, there's some challenges that came about. And I think it's important for us to hear that as much as you're able to share. And I know you've mentioned some of them. But even as we start working through, you know, the majority culture uh, of, of white America and understanding, hey, what is it like to be, you know, one of if not the only one of the few who are representing people of color, you know, how, what are some of those challenges? What are some of those things that you, you experienced, if, you know, as you feel comfortable sharing? Well, I mean, dead man, I, um, from the seminary to, to BRN, I, I've left, um, meetings. I left days literally in tears. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you constantly, uh, wrestle, with trying not to be, because you're bringing about correction, you try not to be misunderstood as angry. Uh, you mm-hmm. trying uh, to not break the unity and not break the love. You don't want to stand out. You don't want to always be uh, the one who have to speak up uh, in situations. So it's an, it's an uh, enormous amount of pressure uh, mm-hmm. when you're the only one in the room. Uh, there are some things that's, that's very, um, insensitive that that said uh and so you know i know when i was at the seminary there wasn't a a professor uh, or down to the the president who offers i didn't have to go into at some point in time uh about a statement that they've made uh that was very insensitive um and but i had shown my love for them my love for the lord my love for what we were doing uh, and we had enough of a relationship where they could receive what it was that that I, I communicated. In fact, when I when I actually left um, and they had a dinner uh, for me uh, in my honor, my wife was there. Everybody, every professor, the president, Austin, when they gave their comments on me, everybody stood up and said, I remember when Larry came to my office. <laughs> you know, so, so there was always, you know, because, and, and the trivial things is, is they'll say, do black people like so-and-so, you know? 
And I'd be like, I don't know about black people, but I don't, you know? So it, it was this question as if I can ask you a question and your response is the one that matters for all of black people. And I'm like, yo, that's like saying do white people like ice cream. You know what I mean? Like, how can one person answer that, you know? So, you know, you had things as trivial as that, yeah. but then you also had uh, some very uh, challenging things. Uh, to look in the book of Exodus and, and just gloss over uh, enslavement and, and what does that mean? Uh, and what does deliverance mean? To look at uh, Joseph being sold uh, mm. by his brothers, uh, what does that feel like, you know, to, to, to recognize that because of, you know, who Joseph was and where Joseph was, he was able to be, you know, then put back into uh, prison unjustly. What does that look like, you know, yeah. for, for, for the, the genocide that take place in the book of Esther and Esther needing to speak up to the king, you know, on behalf of her people? Like, what does that mean? So there's a, there's a, a cultural uh, sensitivity in eyes that, that has been totally missed, I saw, uh, in, in dealing with the Bible and the understanding of it, uh, because mm -hmm. it was always read from a majority culture perspective. And so I, I realized when I was at the table that, that my, my, my Anglo brothers did not see themselves as Gentiles uh, in the midst of this conversation. I'm like, y'all with us. Like, you, you do know that, you know, we were the ones that together was engrafted in, but, th but they were reading it through a lens like they were Jesus. And so I didn't realize that. So when I go to the story, I never assume I'm Jesus in the story. I'm, I'm the people who Jesus hmm. is coming to. I didn't realize, oh, you're the hero or you're David. Oh, you're Jesus. Oh, oh, you're Moses. Like, I didn't get that. You know what I mean? That's not the lens that I, that I looked at, that I came in as the savior and a hero of the story. I'm always coming as the people need to be saved. You know, mm. I'm the man on the side of the Damascus road that, mm. that, that you stopped for, mm. that you cleaned up, that you gave a deposit and that you promised to come back and get, you know? And so when we don't read it, you know, as Cone said, the God of the oppressor is vastly different than the God of the oppressor. And so you realize very quickly that although we sitting at the same table, we had, and we read the same book, we read that book with very different eyes. And that's how you can have Christians on such divided places when it comes to love and equality, because we've, we've read it differently. And so I praise God uh, for my brothers uh, like yourself, who sat at the table and said, "Hey, let's let's read this together. Let's yeah. talk about this together. Let's let's grow together because we need a plethora of of voices and eyes to get a holistic understanding of what a text is saying. And so, reading it from a different culture and context helps us get a a, a much broader and greater understanding of, of what God was doing uh, in Genesis one and twenty seven and making all of us in His image. And how does that play out? So." No, and I think that's so so important that we don't miss because something that I've learned through our time together is the value of listening. That's part of it, right? Going through the process, not rushing to action, you know, because I think that's usually what happens with guys like me. Come in like, yo, what do we got to do? <laughs> Sit down and listen, right? Like, <laughs> that's the first step, right? And then like, let's repent, you know, let's lament. And then let's get a vision together. Uh, but part of that vision, and I, I think you said it so well, is to not minimize the voice that we have in this uh, conversation of racial equality uh, and racial 
uh, reconciliation. So a lot of times what happens, and I've watched this even take place of late, is we can wait for people of, of color to speak up about things that are not right and are, are wicked and evil when it comes to racism and not just being non-racist, but anti-racist, right? Uh, not just being overtly racist, but covertly racist. You know, I heard a term recently, living room racist, which is the idea that, hey, what do you like when you're at your house, man? Like mm -hmm. no one's around. What are you saying to your family members? Like I saw this story where a couple inadvertently hit Facebook live and they just had a whole like 35 minute session of racial bashing, you know? And, and I was like, you know what? Like, that's a good challenge for us all to think about. But one of the things you said is, you know, that it's often lonely because not only are you not represented well, as far as the amount of people that look like you, but then um, you seldom have other voices joining you and saying, Hey, wait a minute. Like, hold on, like you said this, and I've had to learn even over time. It's like, no, 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 they want me to speak. Like they want me not to, and not even like that I would be sitting on the sideline totally, but you know, sometimes you get a little like, oh, I want to make sure I say this right. Or, you know, I am um, not out of step or out of place for saying something. And I think one of the things you have challenged me towards and us as a coalition is like, no, no, no. Like you say what you know to be true. And when you don't know, <laughs> go learn, but say what you know to be true speak up for such a time as this back to the Esther passage you need to use your voice you need to raise it out you raise it up and, and let it be heard uh, loud and clear about where you stand on this and that is part of the, the work that we've been doing even in this coalition and I really believe you know Larry as I think about your story and even where you came from too is like man how understanding who you are in Christ you're fully loved and he's pleased with you um, then allows you to take that part of, of your identity and let that lead um, you with the parts of your story of, of understanding when you come from where you come from, where I come from, you learn very quickly, like, Hey, there's a box that usually people <laughs> are operating in, but you got to go outside the box because that's how you actually are able to survive and innovate and get to where you are. Uh, and that's all part of the grace of God. But I think that's one of the gifts too, is like, then you're able to challenge and say, wait a minute, like, how do we, no, like this isn't, you know, we need to go this way and provide alternative routes. And I saw that really play out even with this um, coalition. And I mean, I loved how honest you guys were like you, Kyle, um, Hal Hopkins, uh, you know, all the, all the brothers are represented there. They, you know, they were very honest. Like, man, we got to do another one of these things. <laughs> and can you just tell, just because I think people need to hear this side of it. Like, I think a lot of times they, you know, we're in a moment right now, right? And it's, I, I believe God is on the move in our culture right now because of all the things that are coming out back to back like this. Right. But I, I think oftentimes what can happen is you're like, well, this is good, but this isn't the first time we've had a wave like this, you know? And, you know, a lot of people wanting to learn and get information and, but then ad eh, just kind of dies off, you know? Can you tell us a little bit about that, that fatigue and kind of even your hesitation at times with, you know, those types, not necessarily hesitation in the sense that you're unwilling to have conversations, but you're like, man, what, what's the point kind of, <laughs> you know what I mean? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I, mean, I think it's, it's, it's a, um, a posture that, that, that really wants reconciliation in, in my perspective is a posture that's willing to learn. 
Yeah. You know, and, and so willing to learn is, is, is too much information out here to just continue to claim ignorance. And so there's a willful ignorance. So I just don't want to know why I just don't care enough to pick up a book and, and, and do anything about it. So therefore, um, you know, we as, as African-Americans, we become the only African-American someone knows. And so they want a free course on, on blackness and uh, African-American struggle and, and give me uh, your, your 200 years of knowledge uh, <laughs> in 20 minutes so I can have some kind of feeling of why you feel that way. And uh, that's doing a very disservice to yeah. someone who you would call a friend uh, to ask them for this free course uh, and, and what it's like to be black. But, um, you know, in my lifetime, I done had the conversation, uh, non-exaggeration, thousands of times uh, with it ending with, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Uh, we, are we still going to lunch? Um, you know, and so it's like, okay, thanks for that. You know, and, and it just moves on. And so you grow mm -hmm. weary. You grow weary in talking about it. Uh, you grow weary because it's, it's not comfortable. It's an opening up of wounds. It's a recounting. Uh, my being stopped with the police. My being uh, alienated uh, in, in some room. Uh, somebody clutching a bag on the elevator. Uh, mm. You know, it, I mean, it, the the you got to open up the wounds yeah. of the battle of just being considered equal mm. uh, and what that feels like. And so to open up those wounds only for the for the end to be let's sing kumbaya, hold hands, or pray, uh, but nothing ever changes. You grow weary with that, and so. Yeah. Um, you know, just to be asked, hey, can we do this racial reconciliation? I'm like, come on, man. Like, like where are we going with this? Like, mm -hmm. I, I, I'm so I, at the end of this, like, what's the goal? Yeah. You know, and, and so you got to tell me that that the goal is that we're going to make changes. We're going to form, you know, ultimately we see now and after two and a half, almost three years, we done formed the coalition. We're partnering uh, that there's an education, an ongoing uh, collaboration between churches uh, to, to share the gospel, to do uh, some kind of teaching within our congregations uh, to bring about some level of love. Like we know it might be the most segregated hour, but it doesn't have to be the most ignorant hour as well. Like there, there's a, a love that need to be taught, you know, and, and for me, you know, you, someone asks, well, what can I do? Well, you know, first learn, you know, and, and then, and then lead, you know, by example, you know what I mean? Be a parent. You teach them about the, the birds and the bees, you teach your kids about alcohol and drugs, also teach them about racism. Yeah. You know, I mean, there, there's a re-education that needs to take place. Hold your peers accountable. Don't let them use the N-word in your presence. Don't be mm -hmm. compliant, because that's what silence is. Don't laugh at the joke. Don't snicker at the joke. Don't even say, well, I didn't laugh when they said it. No, hold them accountable for saying it. Tell mm -hmm. them it's, it's unacceptable what it is that they said. You know, and, and so you got to you got to you got to lead, you know, in those ways by a parent. You got to lead as a as a peer, you got to lead in the polls. Don't pull a lever just because you're white. Don't don't pull a lever because you're black. Like like no, know why you're voting and, and the vote counts and, and make sure that you're educated in order to do yeah. it. There's so many things that we can actually do individually and then corporately, man. You know, and so coming out of this, how which system are we going to change? Because the truth be told, there has been a miseducation in America. There's no, I mean, black history should not be a month. Black history should be a part of history and in the book. But it, it was taken out all of the books, so therefore there's a month. We say, hey, okay, let's talk about Martin Luther King and Rosa Parks. Those are two good ones, right? Let's talk about them in February. Like, you kidding me? 
You know, yeah. like it's a part of history. Yeah. And, and because of that, because of the silence and the omission of that, there's a miseducation. You know, mm-hmm. I, asked, I asked my mom, like, yo, why? Why do white people hate us so much? If, if we really did build up the country and, and we built their businesses and we took care of their kids and mm-hmm. we, and we mm-hmm. picked their cotton and, and we cooked all of their meals and we washed all of their homes and cleaned all of their clothes and we built all of their wealth, why do they hate us? Mm-hmm. And my mama said, you know, son, she's like, it's, it's really weird and it's not all. She said, but imagine if a man raped a woman repeatedly. And every time he saw that woman, it reminded him of the evil in him. He would ultimately look at her as evil. And I was like, that was the worst illustration <laughs> and the most horrendous thing I could ever hear. But it made sense. Yeah. You know. And I because I can understand why black people might have some hate and might have some residue, but I could never understand why the hate was from the other side. Yeah. And I think it's, it's a miseducation, uh, and I think we need some heart transformation, you yeah. know, to, to really move forward, man. And so, for me, the conversation is is merely painful, uncomfortable, uh, and if it's not really moving the, the, the metric further, and, and, and we're not moving towards, like, at the end of the day, if, if you ain't trying to hug me, you know what I mean, you ain't trying to love me and let me love you then it's a waste of time. You know what I mean? I don't, I don't want you to just to better understand me and my story. I want you to learn to love me and see me as being made in the image of God. Don't just tolerate me. Don't, don't just think, oh, I need to hire one of you to be. No, no, just, just consider me equal. You know what I mean? Just, just love. I don't want more than. I just want to be seen as you mm-hmm. know, somebody made in the image of God. Right? So good. And I, I would say even with that, like one of the things – Larry said that I don't want to miss. Uh, I have been so surprised, and I should not be surprised. Larry will not be surprised. <laughs> but this just comes from varied perspectives. I've been surprised how many people do not realize our history. Uh, and it is so unfortunate because um, it, it then diminishes these conversations um, because you're – you're coming at it from two different sides of the way you view things. Like you said about the Bible, I think the same thing historically. And yet there's, you know, just history we don't know about. Like we don't, you know, we haven't been taught it. We haven't learned it. And, you know, I remember us going to the African, you know, American Museum together in the D.C. area. And I was like, you know, the thing that always struck me is, you know, the equality thing was part of it. But then I realized how much of this was just about economics. We didn't want to see people as equal because it was an economic issue. It really came down to that. And I still tell people that today and they're like, nah, you know, I don't know. I'm like, no, look at history. Yeah. You can say it's power and it's all that. And yes, those are, those are, um, um, I think parts of it, but I think the, the main thing is how can we get the most done and accomplished and be financially compensated without having to pay people who are made in the image of God uh, who are our equals to do this work. And man, you, you can't escape that. And even for me, one of the things I want to learn even more about is pre-slavery uh, history. Like I want to learn about Africa. I want to learn because one of the things I'm discovering, which it, wasn't, it doesn't surprise me, but you, know, you just don't hear a lot about it, is the brilliance that came 
um, from the slaves that were taken, meaning like, you know, yes, clearly it's on display because, you know, what they were able to accomplish, but, and there's some of the brilliant, most brilliant uh, people that uh, were there, like in, in the world at that time, you know, coming over. And I don't know if you had any thoughts on that too, like the pre-slavery, you know, and I'm not asking for an online course here right now, but <laughs> I just, even books you would recommend, um, because I do think that's an important part of understanding pre and then even, you know, as they come here and, and slavery uh, continue. Any book recommendations or thoughts on that? Man, I, there's a plethora that you can yeah. put out this uh, after this podcast. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah, seriously, man. There, there's so many uh, that just detail the incorrect uh, and input of, of uh, slaves and, and those who came over. And, you know, I, I just would say that was the part I was talking about when I was talking about the miseducation. Yeah, uh, yeah. That was deleted from the foundation. Uh, yeah. Those who, who did the work and made discoveries from every field, from the scientific field, the medical field, the music field, like every field, uh, because they weren't valued as people. Yeah, you talk that's about right. Three-fifths of a person, you know, they didn't realize they was left out of the book because they weren't allowed to actually read the book. It was illegal. You know, so I'm talking about <laughs> the contributions uh, that was made, that was omitted. That is the miseducation. And so on the news the other day, there was a guy who was, uh, you know, you had several guys with, you know, AR-15 rifles guarding uh, the, the statue of Christopher Columbus. And they were willing to kill somebody or be killed to guard this statue. And, mm. and, and a newscaster said, like, yo, you know, what? why do you have guns? They're like, because this, this is our heritage. If it wasn't for him, we wouldn't have discovered this place and nobody would be here and this and that. And, and the newscasts were like, do we realize that there was somebody already here? <laughs> but, but he didn't say it to him. But what I'm saying is this man was, was mad, he was angry, and he really felt like this guy discovered America, although, you know what I mean, he didn't. You know what I mean? You can't discover a place where somebody is. And, you know, nevertheless, because he was miseducated, man, you know, he, he was visceral in his defense of this thing. And I was like, wow, this man is so serious, but he's so wrong. You know, and again, I'm not saying that they should have destroyed the statue. My, my thing is not to erase history, it's to learn from it. So I don't necessarily want to see history erased because then it's like it didn't happen. No, it happened, you know what I mean, before. And we need to learn from what had happened. So erasing it is not necessarily an issue. Now, celebrating monuments, you know, that's a whole nother issue. But, well, I, yeah, I would say, yeah, with history, I think it's about what te- what story are we trying to tell? Are we trying to tell the, the accurate story? Or are we trying to, like, respin history? Absolutely. And, we can, and we can do that on both sides, right? So we can be like, oh, no, 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 we discovered America. Christopher Columbus discovered it. No one was here. And he, we just, wait. <laughs> there are a lot of people here. Uh, and then on the other side of it is, like, then we miss the contributions that were made you know, and the people who are deleted out of our historical books. And that's, that's one of the things I'm a big fan of Ryan Stevens, because I, one of the things I appreciate about what he's doing in Alabama, let's re-educate. Hey, let's talk about lynching. Let's talk about, people need to know, man, like, yo, like it's disturbing. And, you know, and it's back to your mom's illustration. So sometimes we don't want to look at that. We kind of want to, not kind of, we want to whitewash it and make it, you know, better than it was. And again, both of us are proud to be Americans. We're not, this is not a, an American bashing 
episode. This is really understanding, hey, you don't, if you don't understand history and you're not honest about it, there is no hope to true healing. You cannot move forward. And the, the same conviction and vigor that that guy had about protecting that monument is based off a faulty understanding of historical realities. Uh, and that's where I, I think the, the value of us having conversations, listening, learning, Hey, diving deeper, you know, like I'm still learning. I'm not done learning. We're not done with our friendship and conversations because there's things like I'm having to even rework, which brings me to even this coalition piece of it, because I think it's important for people. One of the things I'm watching, and you tell me if you feel this way too, I'm watching a lot of people um, post the opinions of pundits and their own perspectives, but not getting from behind a screen to have in-person conversations and around these issues. And what I mean by that, it's not, I'm, I'm, I post and I talk about these issues on social media, but what I'm talking about is, hey, if we're going to move forward, we actually need real relationships and we need to get past the point of self-righteousness on both sides of it and come with this humility that says, hey, and I'm not talking about uh, an absence of righteous anger. Righteous anger is the right thing uh, because these are unjust issues and they break God's heart. But when we enter into these conversations, do we come in a posture of listening and learning? And I, I think part of what Larry said early on, you got to remember how tired, you know, people are of having to regurgitate this. And it's like reliving, um, it is reliving wounds and traumatic experiences. Like that's really hard. So part of that is understanding that. So if you're going to enter into this conversation, I think show up with a willingness to not only listen, but to do the deep, deep work. And so as I look at our coalition, I think we had to really build a lot of trust and relationship over time. Um, and I wanted to get your perspective of like how you envision that going, how, how you help to create that atmosphere and foster that uh, environment. So as people are listening to this, and obviously there's a group of us, but I, I think we can do the same thing in our own, our, our own communities, with our in our homes and, and in our workplaces, where we can befriend people, have them over, engage in conversations, do the deep work together. So I wanted to ask your your opinion, your perspective of of how you set that environment, and even you know what the coalition has turned into now. Well, I mean, I I, I don't take credit as I said it. I mean, it was a Holy Spirit thing. Let's be clear. Um, but I think we started with a, a willingness to be uh, honest, a willingness to be transparent, a willingness to be offended, um, and, and to to make errors in, in communication, uh, a, a willingness to to bring uh, assumptions and stereotypes and, and even hurts to the table, uh, and to be able to speak the truth in love. And so I think creating. Uh, a culture, a brotherhood culture of love that we had, it, it opened up a door. And it took, it took some months to trust. I remember, you know, we, we were six months in before somebody asked the question, why is Make America Great Again so offensive to you? Yeah. you know, uh, now you waited six months to ask that question. Uh, not you, per se, but I'm saying, you know. <laughs> so it was like, it took, so it's always been on the mind, but it took six months to get to that place. Was to say, look, as you go back, at any decade, it was worse than what it is now. 
You know what I mean? Lynchings was legal. You know what I mean? Like, like the things that's now hidden in systemic injustice was actually open and legal. So when you say make it great again, you got to understand it was never great for a group of people here. You know what I mean? And so, but the willingness to ask the question in the room is what the, what the biggest part was, you know? And being able to, to say I was, I was harmed at one point, or I might've got beat up on the way home, or, you know, I was pulled over on whatever side I was pulled over and I was unjustly accused or whatever the case may be, just having a room where you can be honest and you can be open. And so the, the, our coalition started as racial reconciliation. Let's just love on each other. Let's get to the bottom of, of what pains us and what separates us and let's recognize and celebrate the blood that connects us. And through that process and through that growth, we got to a point where, <clears throat> excuse me, it was no longer about us reconciling with one another because we was reconciled. You know, it don't mean that we didn't have differences and, and things like that and, and there's not still room to grow. But I believe we created such a level of love and trust and mutual sharing that we have said, okay, now that we are reconciled, what, what do we do? And so Mansion Hope, how do, how do we show the world what power that reconciling and us moving together to work for the kingdom looked like? And that, that's what, you know, erected the cultural ethics and justice coalition. Now it's like, now we can take this thing on the road. Now we can go somewhere and, and put a compassion center together and just love on the community. Now we can speak about injustices, whether or not it's in, in, in our uh, judicial system, you know, whether or not it's in our educational system, whether or not it's in our political system. It doesn't matter. We're speaking on behalf of Christ and equality and brotherhood and love. We're not speaking from just a homogeneous point anymore. We're not speaking from a point of ignorance or a point of separation. We speaking from a point of collaboration. What does this look like? And it don't mean we have to be all unified, but we will be intelligent and we will be honest, you know, and we will do the things that we feel at the end of the day is, is right and trying to eradicate some of the travesties and tragedies that has been brought on a, a culture and a people. Um, and, and how do we rectify that? And so I think that was the, the growth of, of us as a team, as a coalition, as brothers uh, in Christ that we done seen take place over the last two and a half years. Yeah, and what's kind of crazy too is uh, I felt like we were ahead of the curve. Not that we're behind in a lot of ways because of <laughs> the historical connotations, but re of recent days because we had done the work together. And so the coalition piece, I'm excited about it. And part of the reason I wanted to have Larry on beyond it, I feel like he has so much to say and offer and he's a friend is I, I want you guys to know about this coalition and I want you to know that there's resourcing that we're looking to create, whether it's articles, Facebook live opportunities, some, some trainings, you know, we, we really are taking this series and want to um, not only do the work together collectively, but allow it to be broadcasted so that others could benefit from that and could learn from that to be encouraged and equipped and so we've we've created a Facebook page uh, right now about that. So you can you can find that. Larry, where, where can they find the Facebook page? How do they search for that? How does that work now? He does culture ethics at Justice Coalition or CECJ is is just up there, and uh, you know you can just find it and like it, and you'll see the articles. You'll hear what we're doing and the panels and the things that's going on uh, in the process. So uh, yeah, the cult. 
Go ahead. Yeah, the coalition. So, I mean, the, the great thing about it is I'm surrounded by so many brilliant guys. Like, I uh, mean, I don't know. It was just so cool to hear each person's thing. We had a, a guy write a whole thing about politics. And, uh, you know, and I was like, dude, this guy's mad smart. You know, <laughs> like listening to, to, to Larry, Kyle, and all these guys uh, chime in. But it's been such, such a powerful thing, which really a lot of what I, I believe we're doing and even you're encouraging us collectively to do really is a lot of, of what the book that you wrote about um, speaks to. So I wanted to ask you, you know, Larry, tell us a little bit about your book and, and even where people can find the book as well. Uh, the book, Ask Me Why I'm Not in Church, you know, you can find that anywhere at Books of Soul, uh, Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, wherever it can be found online. And, it, and it's really a, a challenge uh, for the church to, to get out of the building and, and be what God has called us to be, uh, do what God has called us to do, uh, stop worshiping buildings, stop worshiping Sunday. Uh, and, and it's amazing that we have been displaced Due to this virus, so in in the midst of you know, for me it hurts that church is valued by how many people you get in the building. When I believe the kingdom is about how many people we get to get out of the building and do the work. You say know? it again for the people in the back. Say it again for the people <laughs> in the back, Larry. That was you know? say that again. Say that again because I think I think that is actually the the missing element for a lot of people. We have a faulty view of success. And power, which really the king's kingdom is, is greater than that. So say that again. So so I said church is a, is normally valued on how many people we could get in the building, whereas the kingdom is really about how many people we could get out of the building. You know what I mean? So so it's not about the attending; it's about the sending. And and so our goal is really to equip and send people out. And yet we do everything in and everything we can in. And the Lord is the one who said, I will build my church. And he told us to go make disciples. But yet we spend all of our time doing his job of building a church. And, and so, you know, the, the book is really about how the body of Christ need to be equipped and mobilized to build up the actual kingdom. You know, so and, and I'm excited about it. Uh, it is just a, you know, just a labor of love that really helps equip with a, with a biblical foundation. Uh, what the calling is of Christ, because I think we have some Christians who really believe showing up on Sunday is being a good Christian, showing up on Sunday, singing a song and putting some money in the offering and they consider themselves good Christians. You know, I'm so glad that that's not what Jesus did. Mm -hmm. I'm sure, you know, if you look at the life of, of Christ throughout the gospels and you look at how much time he spent in the church, as opposed to what he spent outside of the building, I think you'd be crazy surprised uh, at that that three to one ratio that he spent in the field uh, mm -hmm. doing what what he came to do, which was usher in and build up the kingdom of God, and so that's what we've been called to do, man. You know, and so three fourths of our time should be spent being the church and not doing church. Yeah, and I one of the things that I admire about you guys as a church and even the book and is I, I really feel like it it's out of the overflow of who you already are. So a lot of the things that the book talks to and the coalition, these are things you've been doing for some time, you know, and um, even great commission, like you guys have done to tell people a little bit about some of the things you guys have done in the community. I know that you guys have some community uh, 
events. I don't want to misspeak about exactly what those things are. Can you just share a little bit about what you guys are doing? Well, well I, I, I church besides, I mean, the Lord put on our heart um, years ago, um, 10, 12, 12, was it 20, 12 years ago, 2008. So we was a church planted in its suburbs. Um, and through the study of the book of Nehemiah, uh, and, and understanding the walls being broken down and, and the vulnerability of the people to all the, the things and the perils around them. Uh, our church was a middle-class church in the suburbs, and we got up and moved back into the city uh, in order to love on the city. We, we saw uh, the foundation of the home is broken down. We saw the elements of drugs and violence and undereducation and over-incarceration. We, we saw all of those things as, as the perils that they were facing. And so we uh, raised money to go on a long-term mission trip from the suburbs into the city. And, and that's how we bought our building. We, we, we went in, we raised funds. And so even the church, yes, we have Sunday worship, but we look at the church as a mission house, as a hub. And, and so everything we do, we do from that hub, but we don't look at it like all of our people were supposed to come there. As we come, we get equipped, and we go. And so uh, we, we help with teenage moms and, and young lives. We help with uh, returning citizens, those who have got out, get a second chance. You know, we partner with the school in doing uh, mentoring. Uh, we feed the community over, over 115 families a week during this, during this COVID crisis, man. You know, I mean, we do the Thanksgiving thing. We do the Christmas. Obviously, we help on holidays, but we are ingrained uh, within this community to help them have safer and better lives from 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 their education um you know in the schools to their safety in the streets our whole goal was going in to build a safer a community that one would want to live in uh go to school and be educated and, and come back to to be a pillar so, uh, yeah, that, yeah. yeah i was gonna say too like you know one of the things like larry and your team you guys have done so well there is to say hey we see you know, we think about this coalition piece and racial reconciliation and then saying, hey, we're working towards equality. I think one of the goals that I've seen through you guys is, and we've talked about this, and it's hard because you got a lot of systems that are built. I think specifically, uh, well, two, <laughs> I think it's two specific ones that you already mentioned, the school system and then the prison system, which unfortunately are very linked. Um, and... Uh, I think one of the, the challenges is to really say, hey, we, you know, we're going to do our part with voting. We're going to do our part with using our voices to protest. You know, we're going to use our, you know, writing, all these things. But one of the things that we have to do is really say, in order to be that change agent, we as a church together have to see our part to play in joining Jesus to bring his restorative good, his kingdom goodness to this place. And I don't know, I just watched you guys do that over time. As you think about, even for us who are listening to this and just trying to figure out our next steps with that idea, um, what, do you, what do you think the path forward is for us? Because I, I do think part of it is education, as we've talked about, learning, listening, friendship. But then there's a point where you got to lead, you know, and leading isn't just, yes, it is our voice, but leading is often, hey, um, you know, I'm going to actually go do something, right? Like, and I don't want to just do anything. I want to do the right something <laughs> because, you know, white people in particular, uh, they have a, a Maasai complex at times. And they're like, oh man, like we're going to go save the day. And it's like, no, 
Like you may be doing like more damage and they don't need another, they don't need a savior. They need a partner, right? They need, and that's one of the things I love about this coalition too. You guys have been very good at reminding us. And I think our team as a whole has been good at being aware of that. Hey, we're partners in this. This is not some like church from the suburbs coming in and being like, yo, (laughs) or like whatever the case is. So I was just curious, like, what would you recommend as steps forward? Well, I mean, I, I think the, the for us, you know, even going in, it was a it was it was a, a cultural adjustment for this middle class church to come back up into urban Philadelphia, you mm-hmm. know, and and so we had to exegete our church uh, and exegete the community to make sure it was a good fit, you know. So you know, we had to realize, oh, we have some educators here. So going into the school was a natural fit. You know, we, we knew that we had uh, some, some folks who understood the judicial system. We had FBI agents. We had some police officers. So we had a, a law uh, within us. So, so helping out those returning citizens uh, it w- was, was kind of a natural fit. You know, we got folks who, who, who just had, the, you know, a, a huge gift of hospitality. So everybody coming to the Great Commission got to take a spiritual gift test. And so we see what, yeah, you got hospitality, you got mercy, we got this area. And then, you know, when you got a common sin, if you had a bunch of teenage moms who have overcome through the grace of God and became, you know, just some, some great mothers and, and great businesswomen, they had a heart to go back and say, hey, let's help these other single moms. You know, the, the trajectory for, for a mother with one kid is, is like, you know, 60 something percent greater than if the woman had two kids. And so if we can grab the teenage mom with one kid and love on her at that point, where she won't be looking for love in all the wrong places anymore, you know what I mean? When she can have that kid and know she got this support system, and then you bring along the godliness, you can, you can prevent her from having that second child. Her trajectory for success is so much greater. And, and so those things that we ended up partnering with was a natural, organic outpouring of who we are. And so when you talk about what's next for us, it's really where we get to that. What What is a common, you know, I always ask everybody in a new disciple interview when they come to join the church. I say, if it was one people group that you can help, who would it be? Mm-hmm. Who does your heart break for more than the other? Mm-hmm. Right? And, they, and, you know, some might say, oh, for senior citizens. Well, you know what? We don't have enough people, you know, who senior citizens is who they heart break for, but they do over here at the center. And I want you, I want to deploy you to work at the center. I want to deploy you to work for this church and, and help them with their senior ministry. So we don't have to start everything because it's a kingdom thing. So yeah. if, if there's a commonality where several of us got mm-hmm. the same thing, then we explore what does that look like? And we only do ministries that, that's at the heartbeat of us. When we first came in, you know, we was doing homeless ministry, you know, for some men that was in, 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 in you know, in one of the... Um, you know, the shelters. Well, we was there and one of our guys was falling asleep while we were there doing, and I was like, dude, like, yo, the last thing you want to do is show these guys they don't value by going to sleep. He's like, I'm I'm like, yo, do you, do you want to be here? He's like, no, but I know y'all need, I'm like, no, no, no. I'd rather you be home loving on your family. I'd rather you be in a ministry that you're passionate about than being a warm body here in this homeless shelter. So, so just because it's good don't mean that it's of God for you, right? 
And so you got to figure out what is he specifically called your group, your church, your men or your women, your adults or your millennials. Like what did he call us to? You know, and, and, and the majority of that is what you speak to. The others who have a passion for something different, I deploy them somewhere else, man. You know, and, and so I don't like to do things just because we feel we should be doing. Yeah. I like to do things that we feel that God has uniquely called and gifted us, and there's a specific need, and then we figure out how to partner with that. So for me, it wasn't starting. We didn't start things. We partnered with people who were already doing things. That's how we became an instant part of the fabric. And so yeah. instead of us starting, there's great commission mentoring. No, we partnered with a mentor program. We, part, we didn't start the Teenage Mind. We partnered with Young Lives with Teenage Mind. So, so instead of me starting all of these things from the ground up, you know, when we came with the passion, we figured out where was the need, who was addressing that need, just like the Black yeah. community experiencing God, and then got in on what God was already doing, deploying our people to those trusted entities that was already doing things, right? Mm -hmm. So good, man. It's so good because I do think that is something across the board no matter where you are, whatever you're doing, I think looking at what are you passionate about um, and then looking at what makes up the mass of uh, similar passions and abilities. You know, a lot of times like we can spread too thin because we're trying to do everything and then not feeling like we got to invent or start something. Rather, who's already doing it well? How can we work with them? And even if we're not going to sign on as far as this is going to be one of our initiatives if someone in our church has a passion for this area hey let's let's deploy them like they don't have to be limited because we have some god-given limits and limitations are not uh unhealthy or un, un, unbiblical <laughs> limitations are from god and it allows you to know what he would like for you to do <laughs> and for him to show up and show off and then you can actually make so much uh, better use of who you are who the, the people that God's entrusted you to work alongside are as well. And then that community, you know, because you can be the best partner to that community when you answer those questions and you think through those things. And so I, I think it's really important for us all to examine because there is a temptation to be like ev everywhere, you know, and even, even as we, we think about health, you know, healthy things recognize, Hey, I can only do, these things really, really well. I can only do a, a certain amount of things really well. That doesn't mean the other things are unimportant or aren't good. It means I'm what my limitations are, walking to what God has for me, grace, kingdom, cause, and then celebrating what somebody else is doing. Like it's not a competition, like you said. It's not a, hey, this is the Larry show or the Joe show or Great Commission or Riverbend or whatever. Nah, it's not about us. This is about something bigger. I mean, that we get too um, caught up in our little kingdom so often that we miss out on something that's much more uh, effective and beneficial for us and for others in the community uh, when, when the, the, the kingdom should be lifted up. So, Larry, as you think about even your own journey in your own life, I know one of the things I want to just touch briefly with you on this, just so listeners can be praying for you, cheering you on, man, is um, you have have been re-diagnosed with cancer. And I, I don't want to speak for you on this. Can you just share with us where you are in that journey right now, how we can be praying for you? And even as we seek to walk alongside those um, with cancer, what are some ways that we could encourage them? Well, I was diagnosed with uh, prostate cancer in 2018. 
And um, that was after four years of looking for it uh, because the PSA went up. uh, Prostate cancer is huge in in African-American men. Uh, Number one killer. uh, Number two cancer killer of all. Uh, And so it can be prevented if we get the proper testing. But I was diagnosed in 2018 and had surgery uh, to remove uh, my prostate. And and we hoped at that time it would get rid of uh, the cancer. We thought it did. We tested it and didn't see it. And they... uh, the other tissues that was tested, but uh, just this year, 2020, two years later, when I went in to celebrate being two years cancer-free, we discovered that the cancer was back. Um, and so uh, I just uh, under underwent seven weeks of, of radiation, uh, 34 treatments that ended on Monday. Uh, the day mm. is Wednesday, you know, so I'm, I'm two days away from uh, the radiation and uh, praising God for, for giving me the strength to get it through with yeah. minimum side effects being down. One of the major ones was, was the fatigue. Yeah. Uh, and, and so for the next couple of months, uh, they say they take me back to normal. Uh, but just praying for my health, man. I think, again, just like anything else, I, I did a Cancer Chronicles, a video uh, journal. Of, of this process and it was really to bring awareness you know i really believe my life is is a living sacrifice man. it really is man. uh i i believe that i can't just worry about trying to save people spiritually if i'm not willing to open my mouth and, and be transparent to save them physically as well so they can have an opportunity to accept christ spiritually so every time the lord allows me to go through something whatever that trial may be I, I got to believe the Romans 8 and 28 that somehow it, it's for his glory and my good. And so uh, I'm vocal about it. I'm transparent about it uh, so that I can be an advocate to help somebody else uh, get well. So everybody deals with things in their own way. You just got to, to love on them, uh, <laughs> yeah. to stand by them and, and support them uh, anything you can, man. But yeah, that, that's my journey. Uh, again, I'm vocal about it uh, because I, I care about people. I don't want to see uh, anybody go through uh, this suffering process, especially feeling like they got to go through it alone in isolation or in any level of embarrassment uh, or shame or whatever. Man, it's something that you know we need. We need a support system, and, and many times at church we talk about the spiritual health, but we, we don't talk about the physical health much, and and, and what treating these bodies. Uh, like the temple of God really means uh, when it comes to having our health in check. So thanks for asking. Yeah, Yeah, man. And thanks for sharing too. And Larry, again, um, one of the things we've said throughout this is he doesn't speak on behalf of every black person or every cancer patient either. Uh, I think one of the things that though is important is to listen and to check in and to ask and to care and to not uh, minimize uh, where someone is in their own physical journey, specifically with cancer. Cause you know, I, I think sometimes we can try to, I often use this phrase, my brother, John, you, who, you know, Larry coined this. He says, sometimes Christians, we don't like to sit in grief and sadness with each other before the Lord. So we do like these Jesus jukes and the Jesus juke is just like, well, man, like, Hey, at least it's not this bad. Or like, Hey man, like here's the silver lining. And you're like, yo, will you shut up? <laughs> you just shut up. Like, this is it. Like, this is not what I need to hear right now. Oh, no. I had somebody tell me, oh, that's one of the good ones to get. <laughs> like, dude, yo. Like, uh, ain't no cancer a good one to get. I'm sorry, bro. Uh, man, that, that was, that's not an encouraging line for me. 
saying you don't value or respect what I'm dealing with right now. Oh, man. Well, Larry, this has been so fun having you on the podcast. Thanks for coming on. I wanted to ask you one last question. It's just simply this. How can people connect with you, uh, learn more about the things that you're involved in? Any, any, uh, what are the best ways for them to do that? Um, hey, man, if, if, if it's, uh, it, it all depends on what you're getting with me from. <laughs> <laughs> well, just you, 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 uh, you pick and choose here, my friend. <laughs> you know, if you're there with me, does your church need help? You know, there's one number. If you're there with me because you're interested in a book, there's another number. If you're a returning citizen, there's another number. Want <laughs> 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 to learn more about racial reconciliation? I got another number. No, <laughs> but seriously, man. Uh, you're going to hit me with an email, Larry A at drunited.org, and uh, I'll answer any questions. Do whatever I can, man. I'm on Facebook under Pastor Anderson. You know, anywhere I can be of a helpful service to help our church out the kingdom. Yeah, that's awesome. And he, his number is 1-800-LARRY uh, for yeah, all the yeah, above. All right. <laughs> hey, Larry, thanks again for being on. Man, I really appreciate you, your friendship, and the, the kingdom work that God has called you to, man. Um, thanks for coming on. It was, it was really life-giving for me, but I know for those who are going to be listening to as well. Absolutely, man. And, and I want to say this, man, because uh, we probably wouldn't have been able to hook up like we had if, if it wasn't on Barry's heart. You know, so I got to send Barry Whitworth a shout out, man, because he really crushed this racial reconciliation thing. Uh, and I know he he's not doing it out of the George Floyd guilt. You know what I mean? He did it, you know, three years ago when he just yeah. wanted to make a difference. So I appreciate that, man. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Barry Whitworth, good man. Good man. Yeah, he did He did push us towards that, right? I, I'll never yeah, forget he him. Did. And he was, you know, he was honest. Like, I don't fully know what I'm doing. Absolutely. <laughs> and that, that helped. That helped a huge deal. Yeah, because he wasn't like, yo, like, I got I to gotta figure all this out on my own here. So, well, yeah, man, thanks again for being on, Larry. Thanks for joining us for the Vision for the Valley podcast. We'd love to connect with you and to hear from you. You can find us on social media at Vision for the Valley podcast, or you can email us at Podcast at gmail.com. 